Hello, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and to my virtual right, I have Doug Ameth. Hey, how do you do? <laughs> how do you do? What's cracking? I do well. I'm crack well. Uh, and to my virtual left, I have Paul Ducklin. G'day, folks. G'day. The reason for me doing my very bad impression of an Australian accent will be obvious in a while. Okay. Okay. I'm interested. You got me. Uh, so before we get into the headlines, quick wrecks of the week. You guys know that we've turned this into <laughs> top of the show into like a quick uh, Doug, Kim, and Paul recommends section. And this week, I don't have a wreck, but I have a question. Oh, boy. Should I watch the four-hour cut of Zack Snyder's no. Justice League? <laughs> Nope. Oh, boy. No. No. Okay, so I've got a no from four hours, do you know how much good music that I've recommended you could listen to? (laughs) With that four hours? Loads of it. Loads of it. (laughs) Okay, forgive my ignorance, but Justice League is DC, right? Not Marvel? DC. It's DC, yeah. Isn't it like a thing in the past like five years, everyone's like DC is terrible. Like what they're really letting us down. They're letting ev- all their fans down and Marvel's just like killing it. And DC's like yeah. been just awful. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I would say d- don't sit through four hours. Can, can you trust them? Four hours? <laughs> well, here's can you the trust thing. DC? Uh, well, so the rumor is that this is their apology uh, saying, hey, we screwed up the first Justice League movie. We're going to have Zack Snyder do his vision for the movie, which we think is going to make up for the past. Okay. Yeah, just watch it. I'm I'm just shocked that you have four hours to spend watching a movie. That's, that sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> so I'd like to live vicariously through that. So please do that. All right. Well, uh, Doug, what do you have this week? I have something else for you to watch if you uh, are interested. Um, this is a TV show on the Sci-Fi Channel called Resident Alien. <gasps> I've wanted to watch yeah. this. Starring the great Alan Tudyk, perhaps best yeah. known for his work on the prematurely canceled Firefly series. Although we can all agree his best work was as Steve the Pirate in the movie Dodgeball, a true underdog story. <laughs> That's true. The basic premise is an alien crash lands on Earth and he has to pass himself off as a small-town human doctor named uh, Harry Vanderspiegel. It's a classic fish-out-of-water story for the first six or so episodes, and then it gets a little more intense. It's a good story, got a lot of good comedy in it. I'm not sure if you have it in the UK yet, Paul, or if you even own a TV, but uh, (laughs) it makes it there. It's worth a watch. I do have a television, and in the last 12 months, I've used it once (laughs) when I thought I had blown up the serial console, USB serial console cable for my Raspberry Pi, and I needed to plug it into a screen (laughs) so that I could see if it was actually booting. And it was, and I had plugged it onto the headers one pin to the right. On to Duck, what do you have? It's definitely not a TV or a movie wreck. Why not? I'm allowed to watch television. (laughs) I'm allowed to watch television. You paid for it. You might as well. (laughs) Let us just say that it is self-described an instrumental three-piece heavy psychedelic space rock band from Tasmania in Australia. Thus, the accent with which I opened the show. Mm. Uh, The band is called Red Void, and I think they're very cool. 
excellent programming music as always and there are bits of it i don't know whether it's a crybaby pedal that he's got but he the, the guitarist loves his wah-wah and there are bits <laughs> in there that it sounds like you're listening to the the more psychedelic parts of uh the late mr james marshall hendrix so if you like jimmy you'll like red void love it Ooh. i'll check it out yeah, I'm going to check it out, too. So before we get into the headlines, uh, I'll just quickly tease the oh no of the week. Let's just say that this oh no, it's a different kind of printer problem. Again, stick around to the end of the episode. But before we get into that, Doug. We're going to talk about a mail scam. This is a M-A-I-L scam, not a mail <laughs> scam. It's actually perpetrated against a female, believe it or not. We're going to talk oh. about the Black Kingdom ransomware. And we're going to talk about Linux bugs. But first, fun fact. The first internet search engine was written in 1990 by McGill University postgrad student Alan Emtaj. It was called Archie and was used to index FTP archives, making it easy for people to find specific files. Other early search engines, Veronica in 1992 and Jughead in 1993, if you're sensing a theme here. And do not forget, Douglas, Gopher. Oh, yeah. I used 1991. Do you know that there is a site that will proxy your browser to gopher queries for people who like if you love vinyl, you'll probably like this gopher.floodgap.com and you can live like it's 1991. I would rather. But there are still sites that there are still sites that publish their gopher stuff. So like all modern stuff, but like very, very text mode and ASCII art. It's. It's. I'd say it's peculiar. A lot of, is the best <laughs> word. A lot of things from 1991 I remember fondly, but using Gopher was is not one of them. Okay, so this first news story. Now this one's a bit of a juicy. We haven't written about this on Naked Security, so don't go and try to find it on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. There is a Royal Mail scam going around. Kimberly, just to be clear here for for people who you know don't live in countries that don't have Royal ah, anything, yes. this is exactly the same kind of scam that you can find articles advising on a naked security that you might get as we've seen canada post we've seen dhl mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we've seen fedex ups amazon it's basically they're just using that brand yes because they know that if you're getting home deliveries any one of them could work in your country you can find her tweet uh it's a poor drama college student located in the uk uh she is going viral on twitter and her tweet that she sent out yesterday says i mentioned yesterday that it had been scammed out of every penny i had thought i'd post what happened in case it helps anyone avoid being in the same position please save the lectures i don't think it's possible for me to feel any stupider hashtag royal mail scam hashtag safe account scam and she goes on to detail in these two images all the steps that the scammer had to go through in order to get her to hand over essentially a thousand pounds from her Barclays bank account over to these uh, other bank accounts that were, I assume, accessible by the cyber criminals. And uh, man, it's complicated. 
So it all starts out uh, on Friday. She receives a royal mail text that's been doing the rounds. She was not aware of the scam, but it was asking her to pay a $2.99 additional postage fee. Um, she checked the website. She thought it was legit. It was around her birthday. Um, and she knew a couple packages were going to be on their way to her. So she was like, you know what, whatever. Uh, I gave him my bank details, paid this £2.99. As she says, Kimberly, the important thing, and this has happened to me, even though I've almost never used home deliveries, is, like she said, I've received messages about additional fees before. It's a particular problem mm. if you're getting stuff from overseas. Right. There can be customs fees. Right. Big problem in the UK with, with the new customs fees from the European Union, that you do actually get genuine messages from genuine courier or mail companies saying you have to pay another £16.34 or we're not allowed by law to release the parcel. So it's not as unbelievable as you'd think. Right. No. It, it's just, yeah. It says Royal Mail, and but anyone can type those letters in. It's just a text message, right? It just, it's so easy and short. And that's exactly what the courier companies use because they then they don't have to worry whether you what messaging platform you're on, whether you're on WhatsApp or whether you're on Snapchat or whether you're on email. Everyone who's got a phone number can get SMSs. And her story's full of this. There are things that they've, they're, they're kind of suspicious, but they've happened to her in real life before. And and that's what she says too. She's like, look, yeah. I, I was in a very vulnerable place in my life. And it, so it gets even more complicated as if that wasn't already bad enough that she handed over her bank details um, via text message for this uh, supposed fee. She then a few days later gets a phone call from what claims to be Barclays, uh, and Barclays, this person online says, oh, hey, someone has been trying to set up direct debits to your account, to Vodafone and Curry's slash PC World. And, uh, you know, they go on and on, how there were multiple attempts. Those companies, they're, if, you, if you've ever heard about you know, how these scammers operate it's exactly the sort of stuff that things like credit card scammers do right, right. they go Sounds for legit. mobile phone companies right. they go for curry's pc world sell white goods but also laptops s sim cards mobile phones it's exactly the place that crooks go to for fraudulent payments because they can flip that stuff quickly on the underweb right and then the last company was it's argos that all those companies are all completely innocent in this, but that's one of those places where it's sort of always been click and collect. You know, you can order anything and then you go into their depot and you collect it, or you can go in and order it on the fly if it's not locked down. So it's exactly the place that if you know a little bit about scamming, you think, well, that just adds up. Right. That's where what it, the crooks do. It sounds They don't legit. go and buy a house. They buy. They don't buy a washing machine. They buy twenty mobile phones and they sell them the same afternoon. Right. So to so this person on the phone who's supposedly from Barclays sounds very legitimate, right? Um, and then they go on and say, hey. Because you've given away your bank details, we're going to have to give you a new sort code and a new account number, um, which is... Oh, sounds great, doesn't it? Like, it's free. Right. We're going to set you up a brand new account. Right. And then, yeah, you know what's... Th that's why she's calling it the safe account scam, because we can all guess what happens next. Yeah. But, like, you're lured in by then, right? She's believing him. She knows that you don't give your money to anybody, but suddenly this guy is not anybody all the information lines up she's right? very embarrassed she literally says and i quote guys the next bit is going to sound really stupid but i was so embarrassed by my stupidity 
of falling for the Royal Mail scam, shocked and scared that someone had been trying to use my card and also in a rush because my friend was waiting for me outside as we were going for a socially distanced birthday walk. So all this is happening in the background. So she's rushing through this call. The guy on the phone then asks her to transfer all her money into this supposed new account. God. Yes. Yeah, it's terrible. It's one terrible thing after the other. And then she even asked him, how could I know that you're really calling from Barclays? So this reminds me again of the awesome Rachel Toback, where we talked about being politely paranoid. Rachel Toback, if you haven't heard our mini-sode interview with her, she is a social engineering hacker, and she studies all of this kind of behavior in terms of what our spidey senses are telling us and listening to that. Being politely paranoid is often her catchphrase. So deep down, this Emmeline knew knew that there was something off, that there was something way off. She even, she questions him and the guy on the phone is super slick. He's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm calling from the number. Like if you want to check that I'm calling from Barclays, you can look at the number that's on your phone and see that this is from the fraud line, uh, gives some whole spiel about how, you know, he he knows her security answers. Very, very convincing stuff. Spoofed number. Yes. So, folks, that's why we always say you need to start the call and you need to call a number that was not given to you now. You need to call a number that you've had for weeks or months or years, like the one on the back of your bank card or the one on the last bank statement or the one on the little pamphlet you got when you opened the account, because the crooks can't go back in time and rewrite those. Mm -hmm. But as in this case, they can make your phone show up with the wrong number because that's a the, that number, it's just there for help. It's not a, it's, there's no cryptographic security in the, what do you guys call it? Caller ID here, it's called CLI, right. calling line identification. It doesn't identify the calling line. It kind of does. And yeah, so like every time she's, every time there's a speed bump where she's going, no, it's a scam. The guy's got this glib answer. Well, check the number. Super slow. Well, it matches. How would I know this information? Well, she forgot. She just told him. How would I, you know, and the fact that who else would know that you've been scammed? Well, the bank would know. Right. And the and scammers the scammer, would know. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so unfortunate. And unfortunately, yeah. Uh, so she did. She transferred everything she had across three accounts. Yeah. Uh, not just one. Um, in two different installments because the man apparently said that uh, he had to do that for security purposes. Yeah, he knew the limit beyond which right. it would give her a super-duper warning. Like, are you really sure that's an awful lot of money? And he went in just under. So he knows exactly how to get you doing this. And uh, presumably if it was going on too long, eventually you'd have to take a risk. So he's going through this. He knows the 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 parameters within which he has to operate. Like you said, listen to the Rachel Toback podcast because that will teach you a lot. It will teach you everything. It's all the warnings Rachel has in the podcast in this story. Um, so yeah. it, it's very devastating. She does go on to detail, again, all the things he said, all the things he did, 
uh, all the precautions he took to protect himself and make himself sound like he was legitimate. Um, and then this is where the, her spidey senses were really going off. And unfortunately, she didn't listen to them. Um, but she said, it only dawned on me what was happening when he then asked me to transfer my overdraft. I told him I do not have an overdraft. And he said his system shows that I do. Funny, seeing as my recent overdraft application had been declined. I said then, if I have an overdraft, just set one up on my new account. This is not how overdrafts work. He insisted that I have one. Despite knowing deep down that something wasn't right, I tried to transfer the sum of money he told me to transfer. It didn't work, confirming what I already knew. I broke down in tears there and then, and he hung up. I hate this story. What a lovely fellow. I know. I hate this so much. I hate this so much. Does this person much. have a GoFundMe or something that people are res- helping her out? Or, I, or are they just, I guess there's just scam GoFundMe set It gets up? worse. It gets oh, worse. God, yeah. come on. Yeah. So yep. people have <laughs> you been- got, You nailed it. Yep. People <laughs> have been setting up fake Twitter accounts for her. Um, she has actually been actively declining help from people. People have been- reaching out to her saying, can we support you? And she's like, no, please. But of course, people are terrible and they've opened fake Twitter accounts. So um, FYI. Emmeline with three L's or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just like misspellings, right? Because you don't know. Yeah. I mean, talk about ambulance chasing to a disaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's it just like the never ending story. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it's very... <laughs> It's very sad, and I'm with you, Doug. I hate the story. I I just think that she will ultimately. The good news is that Barclays is going to reimburse her the amount that was stolen from her. Um, oh, great! Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's do some tips to stop. Yes, let's to do help some the next tips. Because, like I said, Please. I I looked at that and I thought I would back myself ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time to spot that I, I i should i'm a cybersecurity expert and i don't do a lot of home deliveries and i've written about these things all the time but i won't go more than that like that 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 point oh oh however many o's i need one percent the point is you get a lot of these scams and it only takes one of them for you to screw up and you just think well every question i've put they've come up with an answer and you know how it is like one as it's like Sometimes when you get into a hole and the person passes you a spade, you, you like think, hey, I'll keep digging. So, yeah, the, the first thing, obviously, don't click on links in message is that tell you there's some kind of problem. So in other words, don't get don't put yourself into the fish. So you get the SMS. There's a problem with the delivery. You need to pay this fee. Click here to do it. Not only are you clicking on your phone, so you're going into a little browser where you don't get all the security hints that you might on your laptop. Basically, if you don't click the link, but you think, okay, I'll find my own way to the site, mm-hmm. then you avoid getting into that position where you have to spend the $1.99, the $2.99 or whatever. Second tip, never ever transfer bank funds to a new account because someone tells you to do so. Yep. The bank will never do that. Even though it's coronavirus lockdown, certainly in the UK, you are allowed to go into the bank. Some of them have very restricted hours, I admit, but you can go into the bank, take yourself there and do it in person. After all, if they've frozen your account because of fraud on it, then Nobody should be able to right. transfer funds out of it. Mm-hmm. You should be able to go in there and fix it. Right. And uh, never reply to uh, 
you know, things like phone calls and messages using information in the message. And when it comes to things like emails and phone numbers, don't believe where the message or the phone call says it comes from. Because A, the crooks can send you anywhere, and guess what? You'll get through to them, and you're confirming your interest. And B, as we saw in this case, emails can be spoofed as to look as though they came from just about anywhere, and even phone calls. That number that shows up, it's probably your mum calling when your mum num mum's number shows up, <laughs> but that's only for advice, right? That's just to help you. It doesn't. It's not proof. It's just a, like an indicator. So watch out for that. And the last tip I would say is that if you need to speak to your bank, then make sure that you called them. And that's there's a hidden gem in here that I think I don't know whether it's in her story or whether she tweeted it later that she's that her bank has occasionally, she said in the past, called her up out of the blue and expected her to identify herself. And they have been trying to be helpful, but they've said, what's your name? What's your DOB? What's your some other personal data? So banks are calling people out of the blue and expecting them to blurt out this info. Very bad idea. I wish they wouldn't do it. But if you've got something where you think it's fraud, where you think there's a scam, make sure that you initiate the call and you use a number that you did not get just off the internet somewhere. The crooks will go out of their way to rig search results yeah. to get you the number that they put in. They will go out of their way to spoof the number that shows up on your phone or they can put anything they like in an email. If you make the call and you use the number on the back of your bank card, the one that was printed there before the scam came, mm -hmm. the crooks can't go back in time. You're giving yourself a fighting chance. Yeah. One thing that really worked here that just got her over the line is that this guy had all the, these little details that it was her birthday, that she'd started working just recently enough that she couldn't get the government grant for being unemployed due to coronavirus. Some of those she'd blurted out by mistake and kind of forgot, and he was playing them back to her a little bit later. Trip, typical social engineering trick. It, it's sympathetic, but it's actually completely devious. And the other thing, a lot of that other stuff he could have and probably did figure out in advance, because remember, he, they had a few days to prepare for this. She's next on the list. They'll have gone through her social media profiles. They'll know what she does. They'll know who her chums are. They probably guessed what her birthday is because she may have tweeted about it, all of that stuff. So don't be fooled by someone because they seem to have information that you they, they offer you. The only explanation, the only reason I could have got this data is I'm genuine. That's not true in 2021. They, there are a lot of places they could have got it and probably did. Do you remember being in college and like, just having no money and just yes. being like like can you imagine this then just this happening just being like yes. oh my god mm -hmm. like i've definitely I, been being in college and having a thousand bucks i would have been like okay this is pre i'm oh this is i'm gonna be okay for a little yes. bit and then having the whole thing wiped out wiped out oh, oh my god oh no i but no. although you wouldn't have had the thousand bucks doug because you would have spent it on a games console exactly <laughs> well i was spending it on beer and games consoles. this is why yeah. you had no money <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> i actually <laughs> I, a little aside i got a secret job in college i didn't tell my dad ah. um because they were sending my parents were sending me a little money and i got a secret job at a gas station to make a little money on the side and i didn't know that like I'm an dependent on my parents' tax form. <gasps> oh, so they do their taxes and they get audited and they're <gasps> like, what the hell did you do? I'm like, oh, 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 yeah, I had a secret job. I made like, you know, I made all this money on the side. And, uh, 
You're a bad I think I was student. Praised for my bad ingenuity, kid. but uh, I was scolded for messing my parents' financial situation. I would say you were praised for your serial industry. Your ingenuity was poor <laughs> because you still showed up in that documentation. Yes. <laughs> Good point. Which may be just as well. Yeah. Um, if you've been taking cash in hand, it could have ended much worse. Yeah, uh, it's, just, it's just true. Um, on that cheery note. On that cheery note. Again, folks, you cannot find this article on nakedscary.sophos.com, but don't worry. Check out the show notes. We'll have a lot of links to uh, tips and articles that basically outline the same scam, um, just operated slightly different. Okay, it's time for a palate cleanser. Please. Jeez. Technology etymology. I'm pleased to announce that that horrible story is behind us, and we're going to talk about <laughs> uppercase and lowercase letters. We all hear type, and we all use uppercase and lowercase letters, but do you know where the terms uppercase and lowercase came from? Back in the days of typesetting for printing presses, individual letter blocks were stored in shallow drawers known as typecases, and when the cases were taken out of storage and put on a compositor's desk... The case containing the capital letters often stood at a steeper angle up and toward the back of the desk, while the case with the smaller letters sat at a shallower angle down and toward the front of the desk. Oh, Hence cool. the name. Because you needed to access it more yes. often. Upper case and lower case. I love that. Yeah. So they're basically top shelf letters and bottom shelf letters. Yeah. Like a good scotch. And now if you type in all the, uh, yeah, all the top shelf letters, you just get... You get scolded for yelling. Wingdings. <laughs> oh, yes, I see what you mean. Yes, it's turned into shouting, hasn't mm-hmm. it? Whereas in the old days, you, I guess you, you, had to, you had to guess how many of each letter you'd need in advance, mm-hmm. of course. So let's talk about uh, developing story. We're talking about Black Kingdom ransomware. This is ransomware that leverages hafnium holes and seems kind of like a boutique type crime gang, not one of the big ones that have been in the news lately, and they're doing stuff like charging $10,000 per machine with no discounts. This is kind of a interesting, odd, yet familiar story, Paul. We hate to say we told you so, but uh, all the stuff you could do to protect yourself from hafnium would likely apply in this case, too. Yeah, you're making me cringe at myself a little bit, Doug, hearing you say it the way we said it about we told you so, because I'm looking at the notes that I prepared earlier, and I have a line on my screen that says... After all, the attack unfolded exactly as we warned everyone two weeks ago, colon. <laughs> Uh-oh. Get off high horse. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's the, it seems that here's a, like you say, like a, a boutique or an artisan ransomware gang. They got this ransomware that's written in Python, as you say, called Black Kingdom. That's, the, that's how it identifies itself in the message it pops up. And they figured, okay, I presume in the past they've, probably distribute it by email or any other way. Now they're going, okay, so there's this, what's called proxy log on hole, the, the exchange vulnerabilities that were revealed in the Hafnium news three weeks ago. There are still thousands and thousands of unpatched servers by all accounts. You can find them automatically doing port scans and things like that. Let's use that. It's an easy way in. And so, you know, it's just that reminder is that that it's as if you if you remember we go back to the Hafnium story. Step one is 
the unpatched vulnerabilities on your exchange server means the crooks can write files to your computer they can't run them but they can write them uh, but they can put them in a place where they can go back with a web browser and trigger a web shell the web shell means they've got the remote code execution and because it's a web shell they get to choose the command they run every time they can basically do whatever they want download whatever they want and in this case whatever they want meant ransomware and the ransomware means lots of scrambled files broken computers and heartache but of course at that point where the crooks get their remote code execution they can literally do whatever they want so if you are worried about the black kingdom ransomware attack from this boutique gang then you should be much more worried than that um, because it kind of means that almost anybody could wander into your network at almost any time and do almost anything they want because after all if the black kingdom guys could find you and come in and do all of this stuff then a some other crook could find you and b maybe two crooks found you at the same time maybe there's somebody else in there already for all you know makes you wonder too how many of these types of attacks are going to crop up now that haftium's been exposed and if people still haven't taken the time to patch their systems you know if there's a there's a lag time how many of these types of attacks we're going to see in the, over the next month or two. Well, I guess, you know, we, we can probably have a guess at that if you go back to the Eternal Blue exploit, the one that escaped from the NSA, uh, supposedly, and uh, WannaCry, you know, mm -hmm. that, that Eternal Blue exploit, the crooks are still trying it on to this very day, and it works less and less and less well. But if you've got one server you forgot about somewhere on your network or you've got some shared hosted exchange server that you use for three or four different mail domains and you kind of didn't remember about it because it maybe you don't use those mail domains much anymore or you think you don't you could still be one of those kind of the the last remaining low-hanging fruit and if the crooks can get into your network then even though they're just doing one computer at a time for ten thousand dollars then you know, if they can do one computer, maybe they can do three. If they can do three, maybe they can do 33. And then, you know, 33 times $10,000, that's a lot of money. Paul, what, what do we know about this particular ransomware? Well, this one, obviously, it's coming in on the back. The first thing that guys, the, the, these crooks, they have to exploit the, the, the Hafnium holder, the proxy logon hole. Then they drop a web shell. Then they run some PowerShell, which downloads the ransomware. At that point, then it's Black Kingdom is the attack, so we assume it's the same crooks, unless they just paid someone else saying, I've got this executable I want you to deliver, go and do it for me. We don't know, but that's also perfectly feasible. But the ransomware itself, it's a single executable, it's written in the Python programming language, and it works in a very similar way to most ransomware. It goes through your filing system if it can map net if it's you've got network drives mapped it can scramble those as well so it goes through the drives visible from your computer but they don't have to be your hard drives or your ssds like just c and d you could have an m drive or a p drive or a z drive or whatever it is that's a a, a nas storage box you've plugged in or a drive you've mapped across the network or whatever anywhere where you can write files 
uh, it can write files, and if those are files outside a certain set of directories, then it will go after them. Obviously, like a lot of ransomware, it avoids things like the Windows folder and the stuff that you need to keep your computer running. I guess they want you to be able to get online and buy those jolly bitcoins. So they leave your computer running and your data all scrambled. Now, the good news slash bad news in this case, I don't want to go into too many details, but the crooks haven't done the cryptography perfectly well. Uh, and the way it works, there is a fighting chance if you should be infected by this ransomware. There is a possibility that you might be able to decrypt your files without paying, even if you don't have a backup. So my recommendation is that if you do get hit by this, which I think is reasonably unlikely, um, given the number of cases that we've seen, but people are getting hit, and we know that because... I'm telling you this because our, the Sophos Managed Threat Response Team have been called in several times to deal with it, a handful of times. So it's a, it is a real threat, if not, it's not like, like WannaCry was back in the day. Even if you're going to restore from backup, or perhaps especially if you're going to try and decrypt them yourself, sort of crack the crook's encryption, I would recommend backing up all those scrambled files first, if you can, and putting them somewhere, because... If you have a, a failed attempt at this stage to decrypt the files with what we learn later or with a bit more effort, depending on how much time you've got, you might, don't rely on it, but you might be able to get your data back later or at least some of it without paying. That's bad general advice. Most ransomware makes it as good as impossible to get the data back. And even in this case, you've got a fighting chance, but, you know, it's it's not at the odds that you would accept if you were taking a bet with your chums on the outcome of something like a football match, let's say. Plenty more on Black Kingdom. Check out news.sophos.com for a technical write-up by Sophos Labs. And we got a story up on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And additionally, of course, because the real problem behind this is hafnium holes, make sure you go back and check out our videos, podcasts, and articles that tell you how to deal with that. Okay, let's talk about Linux. A trio of Linux bugs. Malware on Linux? Douglas, methinks you are talking nonsense. I thought Linux was super secure and you couldn't get malware or exploits or anything. Same with Macs. You can't, Macs can't get yeah. exploited either. So and we have a story up on that. That's weird. The Mac Xcode one. Yeah, yeah. go and check that out. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, yes. Maybe what happened is Linux can't be exploited, but for these bugs that have been sitting there for 15 years that no one noticed and they're kind of nasty <laughs> like there's some serious potential consequences here we're talking like privilege escalation and a whole bunch of nasty kernel stuff these bugs they were found by a cybersecurity company called grim that's grim with two m's as in grim's fairy tales and i, I think that the founder or the founders of the company are uh Scandinavian from the, the Nordic region. Uh, they were kind of looking through Linux source code and uh, through some old kernel drivers because kernel drivers, you know, that's the system itself. So if there are bugs in kernel drivers that you can exploit, the consequences are generally much more serious than something that you'd exploit in what's called user land for a regular program because you can kind of maybe able to fiddle with the software that controls all the other software. So it's like, you know, getting in at the ground floor quite literally. And they they found these three bugs in a driver that happens to support iSCSI, uh, 
Now, SCSI <laughs> used to be. <laughs> I, I knew you'd love that. Blast from right the past. Oh, I, I remember those giant, those giant connectors I had a with a little gamepad or something like that. I know I had a print a SCSI oh, yeah. printer, but terrible. Yeah, and the cable and the connector was bigger than the game console. You could seriously <laughs> injure someone with that SCSI cable if you hit them right. They're a bit smaller these days, and of course there's a thing called iSCSI, which is a way of basically doing SCSI over the internet. So if you do still have SCSI or SCSI compatible devices, you might well be using these drivers. So you know, if they've got bugs in them and they're still being shipped with the kernel code, then that's still a problem. And like you say, they found these bugs that were kind of there because I guess nobody had looked for 15 years and they were sort of following programming practices that weren't so unacceptable, you might say, back in those days. We've come a long way in 15 years. And this was just old style code that you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't be allowed to put it in the kernel these days because someone will go, hang on, you need to write that in a more secure fashion. And of course, the problem with these drivers is that you might go, well, I don't use anything to do with SCSI. Anywhere in my network, I'm immune. But that doesn't stop somebody who wants to loading these drivers needlessly. Although the good news is to do that just straight on the command line, you would almost certainly need to be root. However, there's also software that may be on your computer that if someone runs it, the software will have the authority that goes, oh, I, I do something to do with SCSI, or I might need these drivers. Kernel, load them for me in case I need them later. So there are circumstances on Linux with the drivers that ship, the kernel drivers that ship in the default kernel code. There's a possibility that somebody who is not the root account, who knows what's exactly what software to run, can force your system without them being root, to load kernel drivers that you'd never need and wouldn't ever expect to be loaded. And we're probably thinking, well, even if those are full of bugs, it doesn't matter to me, yet it might. And as you say, these bugs here, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, there was a, a buffer overflow because they'd, they were printing strings using an old-fashioned function called sprintf. Don't use it. Um, it. It makes buffer overflows far too easy because you can put in more data than fits and it doesn't check. And they're also doing something which is a real no-no these days. They were taking a memory address inside the kernel because each driver can only load at one address. So if you think, I need, a, I need a unique ID for my program that no other kernel driver will ever have. Well, you could start at one, two, three, four, but what if someone else starts the same and you get a clash? So why not just use the memory address where you're loaded? Because for this invocation of your driver, it's basically guaranteed to be unique. And then you use that as an ID and maybe you hand it to userland and you say, when you want to identify me, here is your unique identifier. Well, you're not allowed to do that anymore because what you're doing is you're leaking information about the memory layout inside the kernel. And, you know, 15 years ago, that didn't matter so much because you could kind of predict where things might go in the kernel. These days, as listeners probably know, most operating systems use a thing called Address space layout randomization. ASLR. Or KASLR in the case of the kernel. And the idea is it it basically shuffles the pack before it deals out the modules. So 
because in a lot of attacks if you want to exploit something you need to have some memory location in mind that you're going to end up at and if you can't predict where to end up the chance of you actively exploiting the bug is much lower than if you know exactly how everything's organized in the same way that if you've ever done any lock picking legally very popular pastime with programmers and techies by the way and you can actually buy transparent locks like transparent padlocks are made of the body's made of perspex so you can actually see how they work if you know how the lock works inside it's a heck of a lot easier to pick it than if you have no idea what's going on and that's the problem here, that, that, that both of those bugs were perpetuated. There was a third one, which was basically an interesting bug because it was a buffer over read. And you think, well, what's the problem with that? I can't write anything in there. I won't get remote code execution. I won't get to trigger my code. The problem with buffer over reads, if you remember the famous Heartbleed bug, is that if you let someone from userland read more data than they're supposed to from a kernel driver and it reads past the end of what you're allowing them to see, you can't predict what they're going to be able to extract from the system. And the second problem is that if you can provoke buffer overreads by significant amounts, then you can actually may be able to force the code to misbehave, access memory that it shouldn't, and cause the program to crash. And as you probably know, if you crash a userland program, it just dies and you start it up again and go, oh dear, I lost 10 minutes work. But if you crash a kernel driver, you crash the kernel, you're basically denial of service attack. You have to reboot the system generally. Okay, so as far as what people can do, obviously you can update your kernel. Yes. I won't list all the numbers there in the article. We'll put it in the show notes because Linux has a whole plethora of still supported kernels right from 4.4 up to 5.11. Um, so that's the advice for any user of Linux. If you've got the latest updates from your distro supplier, they probably include these fixes. Um, if you use a, a distro that builds its own kernel, then the version numbers, like with Ubuntu, for example, I couldn't figure this out. Uh, a reader asked about this. You get kernel numbers have things like 5.10.25. With Ubuntu, you get a dash extra stuff on the end. So you need to check with your distro maker whether they've included this fix. They probably have. Uh, but other things you can do, if you are a programmer, this applies to you, then make sure you know which functions in the C programming language are no longer considered acceptable. Uh, and we've got some advice in the article. So these guys were using, as I said, this sprintf. It just says, here's a bunch of stuff, print it into a memory buffer, but don't bother whether it will fit or not. And if it doesn't fit, well, trouble will happen. The second thing is do not use memory addresses inside your program as an alternative for what's called a unique ID, a UUID. Use a program that gets a good quality random number and use that instead. That way you're not leaking anything internal. And if you're a sysadmin or, a, or you know someone who looks after Linux systems, then remember that all those thousands of kernel modules that are there in your kernel distro just in case you need them. Even if you never intend to use them, they might get loaded by mistake. And there are two ways to control that. One is that you can, um, once you've loaded the modules you know you want, you can actually lock your kernel down so it can't load further modules. And the only way you can unlock it is to reboot. Or you can build your own distro with the bits you know you're not going to need stripped out. Or you can compile a kernel with the modules you want built in and not ship any other modules. And that leaves uh, fewer vulnerable files lying around that somebody might find load and later exploit. Okay. 
That is Serious Security, the Linux kernel bugs that surfaced after 15 years on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Kim, please bring us home. Send us out on a high note. <laughs> we, we, got, we, we talked about a poor college student getting scammed. We talk about re- people getting attacked by ransomware. Linux was a nice change of pace, but whew. There were still some tatters in the potential tatty endings in there, mm-hmm. weren't there? Yeah. Look. So let's have a good one. We, th- a happy this ending. is a funny one. This is a funny one. It's not depressing. It's just funny. And so I think this is the perfect Ono. Oh While not intended, not fully intended, I, I think this is the Ono oh we needed. Captain Triscoll writes, This was around 15 years ago when my department moved into a new building. New was a matter of opinion. It happened to be a rather old building, but it was nicer than the temporary building we previously occupied. We set up our IT office and repair bench with a standard array of monitors, laser printers, tools, bins for parts, you know the drill. It was well known that this building had a few air conditioning quirks, but nothing terribly uncomfortable. Except our room. It was freezing, all caps. We all had to wear coats all the time. Maintenance paid several visits to try and figure it out, but the air conditioning in the building was confusing. It was central, mostly, but some rooms could control to some extent. Our room had controls, but no matter what we set, the ghost in the machine decided that our room needed to be at least 10 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit colder than everywhere else. Months went by, and we more or less got used to it. We had this big honking laser printer in our room. It was old but it could print 11 by 17 color. A three printer if you are from outside North America. So we kept it alive with whatever we had available. On this fateful day, I unplugged it and pulled it away from the wall to work on the duplex attachment in the back and noticed a small box on the wall, no bigger than a deck of cards hidden behind the printer. It had no markings nor controls, but it had a small grill in the plastic. Whatever. After 15 minutes or so, I noticed that the air coming through the air conditioning vents wasn't cold anymore. I finished up with the printer, plugged it in, rolled it back into place, and a test print reminded me that I'm good at my job. And the cold air started flowing again. If you haven't yet pieced this puzzle together, I'll bring you to the punchline. Oh my (laughs) god, I think I'm getting it. Laser printers, particularly old ones, generate a lot of heat exhaust, which is blown out of the back of the unit. Yes, it is. (laughs) Right onto that box on the wall, which turned out to be the room's air conditioning thermometer sensor. Oh my god. We moved the printer six feet away against another wall, and within a day, our room was back to normal operating temperatures. The what a end. happy ending. I love it. Well, I don't love it, but there would have been no temperature they could have chosen <laughs> that would have would would have been cold enough for this thing not to go into full bore overdrive. <laughs> so it wouldn't matter what was happening outside, inside, or anywhere else, it would always be trying to cool them at max power. Oh man. If you've enjoyed this oh no, and perhaps you have your own oh no that you want to share with us. 
then, oh, yes, share them with us. You mm. can leave a comment on any of our Naked Security articles, and it can be an anonymous, too. You can also DM us on any of the social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at Naked Security. And, of course, you can email us directly, tips at sophos.com, or you can find me on Reddit. My username is at, oh, no, it's Kim. Again, that is O-H-N-O, it's Kim. And, of course, if you liked what you have listened to, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It only takes a few seconds, I promise. But until next time, stay secure. Malware on Linux? Douglas, me thinks you are talking nonsense.